Get ready to start your new morning ritual with our new sponsor, Mudwater. Coffee is one of America's favorite beverages, with more and more people starting their coffee habits every day with a cup of that flavorful anxiety juice. But let's be real. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Millions of people complain about the jitters that come from coffee consumption. Our morning coffee rituals can be habit-forming and, for some people, can make getting a good night's sleep almost impossible. And while nearly all of us like the smell, taste, and ritual of our morning coffee, why not explore eliminating the negative aspects of our morning brew? Well, what if your coffee replacement helped induce alertness, not dependency, improve mental capacity and function, improve physical stamina and performance, improve immunity and overall health. Oh, and by the way, it tastes good enough to drink every single day. Meet Mudwater. Mudwater is your fastest growing coffee alternative in the market, consisting of organic ingredients lauded by cultures both old and young for their health and performance benefits. With one-seventh the caffeine of coffee, Mud gives you the natural energy and focus you expect from coffee, but without the jitters and crash. With an organic blend of mushrooms and ingredients like cacao, marsala chai, turmeric, lion's mane, and more, Mud Water offers a beverage like no other. Whether you want to enjoy it hot, cold, as a latte, or however you take your coffee in the morning, Mud Water is zero sugar, zero crash, zero jitter alternative, sure to leave you feeling recharged and refocused. Listen, I'm really excited to have Mud Water as a sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show because I've been able to see the Mud Water difference for myself, and you can too, so click the link in the show notes to get some mud, support the show, and get your new morning ritual started right with Mud Water. And now, onto the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Happy Friday, folks. Brian Nichols here. Brian Nichols Show. I'm, I'm doing my intro here. It's uh, Thursday night before uh, our Awesome Here episode airing on Friday morning, the 15th. And... Uh, God bless him, Kenny Cody, uh, County GOP Chair, and, and guest here on the Brian Nichols Show. Just did an hour-long episode with me. Great conversation. We we dug into so many great things in terms of building bridges and alliances, and God love it. For some reason, his audio didn't record, and all you had was my audio. So, uh, that that's fun. So, Kenny and I are going to have to go ahead and get that conversation re-recorded. Uh, I hope, you know, I will say, hopefully, we, we did get some... Some good stuff, I guess, from my end. I'm going to send it to my uh, my awesome audio guy, Bill. He's going to go ahead and dig into it and see if we can find some stuff that we can salvage and give you guys some great content from that conversation at the very least. But don't worry, that conversation will Kenny Kenny uh, Kenny Cody will be continuing as we uh, we reconvene sometime here the next week. But guys, you are here today to join the Brian Nichols Show for a phenomenal conversation with Brad Palumbo. That's right, peek behind the curtain. Real life happens, and and things like not recording, I guess, guest audio happens. So. That's right. We, we're not perfect. Pobody's perfect, as Pam Beasley would say. Uh, but no, Brad Palumbo returns to the Brian Nichols Show today because why not? Brad's easily one of my favorite guests, and, and Brad is able to break down all these economic issues and make it so it's easy to understand. I know I joked last time. I always feel like I, I walk away conversations with Brad feeling so much smarter. So today, Brad is joining the Brian Nichols Show to discuss this crazy new stimulus bill that was passed and the uh, the economic ramifications from that. But also, um, guys, did you know that some of your, your uh, awesome stimulus dollars went to Nigeria? princes like that's a real thing uh yeah brad digs into that 
and more. So without further ado, on to the show, Brad Palumbo returning to the Brian Nichols show. Hey, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Brad, as always, a fantastic time to have you on the show because, as always, crazy things are happening that we need to have you on to discuss and break down for us. So, Brad, we've had a lot of uh, happenings since you were last in the show, and I actually just most recently aired uh, my appearance over on your show, Breaking Boundaries, here um, on last week's episode of of, uh, Wednesday's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. So thank you very much for having me on the show to talk about marketing and sales, but you're here today to discuss What's happening in in our federal government from a just absolutely insane spending perspective? We just had Congress pass a brand new economic stimulus bill. Those those six hundred dollar checks hit the bank account. So, Brad, talk to us about this new spending bill. Uh, what on earth are we going to be able to do in terms of helping pay this thing off in the future? And what are the real ramifications of this bill? Well, you and I will be paying off this massive spending splurge for the rest of our life, and so will our, will our children and our grandchildren. I mean, the the scale and scope of federal spending in response to COVID-19 is honestly unprecedented in modern history and maybe all of American history. We spent, we've spent over $3 trillion on COVID stimulus and relief spending, and that's like triple what we spent in the, in the Great Depression, or the Great Recession, rather, of 2008. So it really is unprecedented and uncharted territory we're in here. But the big question that I've been exploring for the last few months is not just the scope of the spending. I mean, we all know how big it is, but what are we getting in exchange? Is it working? How much is going to waste and fraud and abuse? Uh, And so we really have to tackle all of those questions one by one. But the CARES Act, which was $2.2 trillion of spending, it created three main programs, the Paycheck Protection Program, which gave uh, loans, quote unquote, that didn't have to be paid back. So they're really grants. It gave grants to small businesses to help them stay afloat ostensibly. Then it sent out $1,200 stimulus checks. And it also provided for a supercharged boosted unemployment insurance system. Now, the, the latest bill of $900 billion that was just recently passed basically just pours more money albeit slightly less, into those same programs. So that's what we've done so far. And and each of those programs, unfortunately, one by one, has really uh, been quite flawed and quite problematic. And we also saw this... A bipartisan, right? We're always looking for bipartisanship, Brad. And a bipartisan push by Josh Hawley and AOC for a $2,000 stimulus check. Now, you did an article there um, talking about this back in the beginning of January of why this is just absolutely insane from an economic standpoint. Could you dig into that a little bit more? Sure. So uh, the whole idea of stimulus checks, quote unquote, from the beginning is flawed. It kind of concedes at the this progressive or what we would call an economics Keynesian view of the economy. An economy where consumer spending is what drives economic growth. Now, conservative and free market economists kind of reject reject this framework from the beginning because we would look at it and we believe that investment and production drive an economy. If it was simply spending, then shattering a window would be good for the economy because somebody has to be paid to fix it. But obviously, there's no material gain. And more importantly, the, the money that's spent to pay the repairman must come from somewhere else. So the fatal conceit of the quote-unquote big government stimulus efforts, where the government just spends money to drive the economy, is they're acting like that money comes out of thin air. If it did, then that would boost the economy because there'd be more money and more spending. But in reality, that money has to come out of the economy 
to be then put in somewhere else. It has to come out via taxes, out via higher debt and inflation. So what it really does is redistribute resources. It doesn't stimulate the economy. It redistributes money uh, with big stimulus checks. This is what happened in March with the CARES Act and its $1,200 ones. The most recent uh, bill has $600 stimulus checks. And the proposal is to up these to $2,000 a person. This proposal was floated by Trump. It's been supported by AOC and Hawley, Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri. And so it's got this bipartisan support, which is your first sign that it is either a really good idea or a really bad one. Uh, And in this case, it's a really bad one because it doesn't stimulate the economy, first of all. Uh, And then it just kind of sprays taxpayer money around like candy on Halloween with no actual focus on the people who have been hurt. So if you're going to have the government spend money on this, it shouldn't go to people who haven't been hurt. So I'm a journalist. I've been working remotely. I haven't lost my job. I've been able to actually uh, advance my career during this whole time. Why should I get a stimulus check paid for by you and more taxes? So the fundamental thing that's wrong with this proposal is that it redistributes resources. I mean, think about it like this, Brian. A family of five, two parents, three kids, that earns $200,000 as their household income would get $7,500 in stimulus under this proposal. It's just, it's a hell no from me. Well, I don't get to, I see a lot of folks, especially, you know, I would say the more privileged and you're you're referring, like, why are we getting, you know, we have jobs that we weren't really affected by the, the, the lockdowns and the layoffs, but I see folks who they see that, well, I don't need that money. And they're like, well, you know, I'll just go ahead and donate this money to you know, a government chair, a name a charity, but then they don't even think for a second in voting for having more taxes taken away because they're like, you know, they're not going to say, oh, no, don't give me that paycheck or that, that $600, you know, government, you can do it better. They're going to actually put it somewhere that they think it can be used most effectively, right? And I think there there is a an opportunity, right? We're always talking about where can we meet people where they're at. There's an opportunity. People see the craziness that is, okay, well, listen, we talk about the $600 and the $2,000 checks and, and we talk about the economic problems. You know, it doesn't work from a Keynesian standpoint, but then you hear the, the, the Tulsi Gabbards out there and I would say more of the left leaning uh, libertarians, which I know people go crazy and they say left leaning libertarians, but they look at the overseas spending, the, the, the interventions overseas and they say, take, you know, the, the $25 million uh, program for gender studies in Pakistan can we apply that? It's actually funny. I had Mark Lobliner on my show, who's um, who's a conservatarian. Um, he's the CMO of Tiger Fitness, uh, which is one of the largest retail brands. He's on the show here on Friday. And he was talking about this. You know, he was like, I'm much more open to that idea. Like, can we get that money and apply it to people here in America? And I think, Brad, that there is a growing sentiment of this kind of like economic populist approach to that because they're trying to, I guess, address the problem they see. And that is... There is um, there is this this rampant um, inequality in America. You do see it, but you also see thousands and th- well, I say thousands, millions and billions of, in some cases, trillions of dollars going overseas. And they're like, well, why isn't it being spent here? So how can we? I, I say all this. How can we then take that rebuttal, that objection, and then help uncover the real objection? What's their real concern? And then how do we address that concern in that, in that perspective? Well, it's a valid one, first of all. I think we should acknowledge that. I, I also oppose sending 
millions of dollars for gender education in Pakistan or all the crazy. I mean, Rand Paul does a report every year where he highlights all the insane examples of waste. We've spent money, hundreds of thousands, building roads in Russia of our taxpayer (laughs) dollars, right? Like, it is nuts. So the idea that we could take all that money home and send it around to Americans, well, first, it's not a bad idea in the abstract, but it's not actually what we're talking about here. So all that foreign aid spending was just reauthorized. So what we're talking about is more spending and more taxes on top of it. We're not talking, it's just not feasible. It's not what's happening to take that money and reallocate it. It's, it's just, it, it, it isn't what's happening. It's not going to happen. So they're floating a proposal that sounds great, but it's just not the reality of where we are at. And also, I, w- I guess I would even question the, the merits of the proposal in the sense that we could also eliminate that spending and then eliminate the corresponding taxes so people get to keep their own money. We don't have to do it in this redistributory kind of um, progressive way where you're having the government take resources and, and redistribute them. The great thing about cutting government spending and cutting taxes is people just can keep more of their own stuff, their own money. And actually, uh, more than many of these broken stimulus efforts, uh, for example, the expanded unemployment benefits actually made it for uh, in the spring and summer, made it so that 70% of unemployed people could get more by staying home on unemployment benefits than by returning to work. So it put the economy in like a welfare state coma. Now, flip that to the other side. If you'd taken all the hundreds of billions we spent on that unemployment insurance and instead used it to cut people's payroll and income taxes, that would have given every American family an increase in their paycheck, and it also would have made jobs less expensive. So a tax on payroll is a tax on jobs. By cutting a payroll tax, you increase jobs. It's the same way that, like any tax. Uh, So that would help people go back to work and get hired instead of incentivizing the opposite. So if we want to spend, quote unquote, taxpayer money or reallocate it from wasteful foreign spending, hey, I'm with you on that. But let's bring it back to the people uh, who actually it originated with. Let's not go and funnel it into kind of progressive economic schemes. You talked to Glenn Greenwald. And one of the questions that I posed to you and that you asked him on the show was this this fundamental like cognitive dissonance in in a lot of our our left leaning libertarian way of thinking right they they acknowledge the elephant in the room this inflated federal government does a terrible job at providing the services that they say they do they see the the, the price tag that we you know they see the, the the money that we spend every single year and they see the inefficiencies but they still want to make government bigger and just put better people in those seats to do government better. But Brad, we know by history, it doesn't work that way. So I guess, you know, when you were talking to Glenn Greenwald, and I know, you know, you and I, we both uh, find ourselves talking to folks more on the left, you know, in our in our circles as well, just because, hey, we like to talk to people outside of our, our you know, spheres of influence in our you know own political world. And I guess... What what is it? You know, when we talk to these people that you found, that is really the underlying issue that keeps them from kind of taking that next step and acknowledging that <laughs> the government is just inefficient across the board. Why make it bigger? Instead, make it smaller. Where are we losing them, and where maybe are they not wanting to go and find the the truth in their end? 
So, yeah, I completely agree. I like people like Glenn and I love Tulsi and they're good allies on issues of civil liberties and foreign policy and uh, advocating for things like pardoning the whistleblower Edward Snowden. But it is, I think, cognitive dissidence is a good way to put it, because they very clearly identify the ways in which big government imposes um, harms on the world through its crushing overreach when we have wars overseas that we're fighting for decades they very easily and adeptly identify how the government violates people's civil liberties and tramples them in the criminal justice system and spies on people, all of this stuff, yet they, they seem to think on the other hand, well, hey, the government should take over healthcare and make it equitable and just and for everyone. And I think that is cognitive dissonance, but it's exactly right. They think that the issue is not the government, but this government. Right. And, and I, I just fundamentally disagree. The problem is not for, for example, the COVID-19 unemployment uh, expansion has led to $36 billion being lost to waste and fraud and outright fraud, including literal Nigerian scammers who are, are making off with hundreds of thousands because there's such loose verifications for benefits. Now, that $36 billion it lost to fraud is more than the entire unemployment system paid out in 2019. Now, somebody who's a progressive who wants government to do more welfare might say, well, the problem's got to be who's running that. The Trump administration, they must have messed up. We need better people in there. I look at it and I see something else entirely. You know, the Nobel Prize winning economist Milton Friedman, he broke down government like this. He said that when you or you or I are spending our own money on ourselves, we have a very strong incentive to shop around, look for the best price, to search for something that's good quality. And if you or I get a gift card and we're spending someone else's money on ourselves, we still have some incentive to like try to get a good deal or try to get good quality. Vice versa, if we're spending our own money on someone else a gift, we still have some incentive. Now imagine another scenario where you're spending someone else's money on someone else. You're not going to particularly care, as Milton explained, whether you get a good deal, where the money goes, how good the product is, because it just doesn't really affect you and you don't have skin in the game. That is government, not because of the bad people in it, right? But, but just because of its very nature. The government and government bureaucrats and officials are assigned with spending other people's money to help other people indirectly and it doesn't really affect them. So, of course, it's a question of incentives, not personnel. And that is my biggest break with kind of progressive left libertarians. So sales brain was kicking on when you were talking, right? And one of the things I've been seeing more and more of an appeal towards has been federalism. People, I think, are starting to get more on board with this. And I think here's how we could sell federalism to folks more on the left. I could say, listen, and you, you were saying, right, that they say, well, we just need to have the government that, that can do it better. All right, let's just take that as their premise. If they think that's the solution, but okay, let's lead them down this path. I'd say to them, okay, how about this? Do you think that you can have a better chance of putting in your right people into the entirety of the United States, or if you were to concentrate your efforts and take over a state like, I don't know, Georgia? And they'd say, well, Georgia, okay, well, then wouldn't that be an argument 
to rein back the overall you know scope of the federal government and allow you to have more of the right people in a smaller area to actually get these policies into action and that i think that would be a, an actually a a more federalist approach and argument from the left it's actually funny i had um oh my goodness i had i forget the exact speaker who was on my show but he was just on uh, recently and uh, james uh, it was a professor from Jim Marone, Jim Marone, there we go, from Brown University. It's actually funny. He was Andrew Yang's uh, economics professor, um, or not economic, political science professor. And it was funny because during our conversation, he basically said, huh, it's funny. You have me, a lefty, arguing for states' rights. And I didn't even think about that because that's an area I think we could actually get them on board right now, especially when you look at you know, the outgoing president with Trump as we're recording here. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's going on from a federal level that I'm sure people are like, um, should we have one person in this much uh, position of power? Because it's a little scary right now. Do you think that's an argument we can make, Brad? Yeah, I do. And I think it's a good one. It, one of the interesting things in the Democrats 2020 primary campaign was that every candidate was simultaneously arguing that the current federal government was corrupt and abusive and d- destructive and that Trump was horrible and that the federal government should get much more bigger and much more powerful. And it just seems awful short, short, short-sighted to me in that, I mean, they, they can't think they're going to win every election, their team always. So, and it's the same thing, actually, that I say to kind of conservatives who want the federal government to really intervene in big tech. Even if you might like that intervention for the first couple of years, if it's under the Trump administration, well, next up might be President Kamala Harris. Do you want her FCC people deciding what Twitter, uh, what content Twitter can host? I certainly don't. And so I think that's right there should be for left and right. The argument that you don't want a centralized federal government should really be rooted in the fact that you've got to acknowledge your side is not always going to be in charge. Whereas at the state level, that's not necessarily true. So you use Georgia as an example, but I actually think a better example would be California or Vermont. Good one. Yeah. Somewhere that's just always going to have Democrats in power and progressives in power. So for a lefty, I mean, you will be able to put your people in. And so if you got the federal government out of health care entirely, right, and then you sent it all back to the states, well, some states like Texas could try a mostly free market. And California, if it wanted, could pass state-level Medicare for all. And they could see maybe their government administrators will be – and I, listen, I'm very skeptical. I don't think it will work out. But if they want to sign up to pay triple the taxes and they want to pick the government officials they think can do it, their guys, be my guest. Go do it at the state level. Uh, And so I think that would be interesting because it would allow them to do that uh, and to get what they want without having to impose it on the entire country or give those powers to a federal government they won't always control. Here's the problem fundamentally. I love federalism. I think it could solve a lot of our problems. But the reason that it won't or it hasn't really caught on is simply because too many people aren't willing to let other people make decisions they don't like. So to really be federalist, uh, Republicans would have to allow California to pass socialist health care, to pass gun control, to have abortion be legal, and vice versa. Democrats and liberals would have to be okay with Texas having guns everywhere and having banning abortion and all sorts of stuff. And I, I think within the structure of constitutional liberties that can never be infringed uh, as kind of a framework, they should be allowed to pretty much govern how they want to govern. 
Uh, and, and that would require other states doing things I really don't like or agree with. But that's fundamentally the problem is that left and right right now, you have big factions of people who want to tread on others or want to impose their views and beliefs and values onto others because they view other people living differently than them as a threat or an insult to their own state of being. And that's something we have to heal before any of this could be a real solution. Well, I think it would also help with healing if we did get out of this mindset that we're going to have a unilateral decision for the entire country made by a 50 plus one percent majority. You know, if, if we actually got more to the mindset of looking at your neighbors as just that, your neighbors not as, are they on my, t- my team? Are they going to vote the same way I vote? I think that would actually help us get back to more of, you know, looking at government as, you know, the, the necessity for the very bare bones, which if we're going to go back to when the, the country was being founded, that was the vision. The, the federal government was not meant to be, you know, the end all be all for all, you know, goods and services that need to be produced or, or services need to be provided. But it was there more so to be the, the, the really the, the structure, the skeleton that held it together. But as we've seen over the past, you know, 200 plus years, it's been completely, you know, re- remade and, and it's been expanded into this gross, gross monolith. And I guess, Brad, how do we how do we as libertarians look at or conservatarians even as well? I know right now you know, we're recording here a day after uh, the, the Capitol was raised uh, by a bunch of uh, MAGA protesters. And, you know, one of the things I think there's a lot of people out there who are looking for alternatives. So how do we then give them that alternative and actually come off as a realistic um, alternative? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, and I think it would help maybe libertarians on the national level or campaigning if they weren't necessarily – if they were calling to return things back to the states and localities. So like maybe the, the position on abortion for the libertarian party rather than being radically pro-choice should simply be let every state decide their own rules. Uh, that would be a pretty good position I think and it would open the bridge to more people to come there because then you could have a left libertarian in California feel more comfortable about voting LP or same for a, a conservatarian in Texas. So that might be some an approach to take on the more divisive issues is say, you know, we don't have to have an answer here for the entire country on a federal level. And in fact, people should, it, it's just bizarre because voters are constantly calling for more federal government intervention and power. But at the same time, when you look at approval ratings, I mean, the president and Congress especially, my lord, they have really low approval ratings. People do not like the federal government. Yet when you look closer to home, when you look at people's governors or mayors or state legislatures, they have much higher approval ratings. And they also tend to be, they're still government, so don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of problems. But they are somewhat more accountable and less corrupt because their constituents know them. They see them at their local uh, restaurant. They know who they are. They, it, there's more direct accountability to voters when you represent 5,000 people in a, in a town than when you represent 5 million people in a, in a state or the entire country. So it is interesting. I think we have to realize how to sh- tell people what they want when they seem to be pursuing the opposite of what their own stated preferences reveal they actually want. Yes. And I think that that's because they just get caught up in the tribal culture war 
uh, played out at the national level where the fight for the federal government feels more like preventing the guys who hate me from taking over, preventing the bad team from uh, castigating me out of society with the bully bully pulpit. So that's the problem. I think the solution is there that people do understand that it's better, but it's how do we guide them to that as an alternative and drag them out of this kind of cage match over the federal Leviathan. Yeah. And I mean, what an argument can it be? Like if you were talking to the Ben Shapiro types and be like, how awesome would it be if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez literally didn't matter to you? Because if you live in the state of Texas and she's in New York, or if you're in the state of Nashville, where they're going to be, or state of Nashville, state of Tennessee, where uh, Daily Wire is going to be headquartered, that her policies in the state of New York literally don't impact you. Like, wouldn't that be great? To the contrary, flip it. Okay, wouldn't it be great, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if your state of New York didn't have to listen to that radical Thomas Massey? Oh my goodness, that radical man from the, where'd he go? Massachusetts Institute of Technology there, because he's, you know, a, a genius. Um, Like, wouldn't that be great? And she'd be like, yes. And that, I think we can start to have the argument. We can start to make the sale in that approach, Brad, as we're always trying to do here at the Brian Nichols Show. So, uh, as we wrap up, let's make the sale uh, for you, right? You've been doing a lot of work and obviously a lot of busy stuff happening over at Breaking Boundaries. I heard you had a really awesome guest there uh, more recently. Oh, I already teased it, I guess, in the beginning of the show. I had fun, right, joining you over on your show. Uh, but what else has been happening over at Breaking Boundaries that folks can go ahead and expect as they go subscribe to your phenomenal new program? Well, you know, other than, of course, having the greatest guest of all time, the one and only Brian Nichols, uh, that, of course, will stand out in 2020 as the hallmark moment of our podcast to date. But no, kidding aside, uh, it, it's going great. We have a bunch of lawmakers coming up on the podcast over the next three or four months. It's hard to pin them down scheduling-wise, but I've got yeses from them. So if you guys head over to Breaking Boundaries, search it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Brad Palumbo on YouTube for the video version – then you'll be able to catch my conversations with Thomas Massey, Justin Amash, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, the new Congresswoman Nancy Mace, and mm. Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania will also be on there sometime in the next couple months. So I'm going to keep trying to talk to people and find the common ground for these kind of principled issues, like whether it's federalism, like you and I just talked about. But what are the big picture concepts that we can discuss and we can really push through society that could help us turn things around because it feels like every day following the news cycle is really bleak. So on my podcast, you're not going to hear about the day's headlines because honestly, they can be fucking depressing. Uh, so <laughs> w- what we're doing is we're stepping back a little bit. And we're having the big picture conversations with thought leaders uh, and of course, people like you. Well, thank you, Brad. I appreciate the, uh, the, the sentiments, but also I do appreciate what you're doing over at Breaking Boundaries because to the point that I've been making on the show and to the point I make candidly in the ad that I did for you, um, you know, you are having conversations with people who are in the driver's seat and that's what we need to do if we actually want to make a difference, if we want to make sure that what we're talking about 
isn't just words. It actually turns into action, turns into policy, turns into people voting, either voting with their feet or voting for those folks who are best going to represent those ideas. Well, it starts with us actually going ahead and having those conversations and instead of just trying to be the kings and queens of being right, actually make a difference. So, as always, Brad Palumbo, Breaking Boundaries. I will include the links to your phenomenal program in the show notes as well as all the articles we discussed here on the show over at Fee. Brad Palumbo, thank you for joining the show. Thanks, Brian. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo and his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So... Head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, available in your favorite podcasting app today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Brad Palumbo. Make sure you go ahead and check out his amazing podcast, Breaking Boundaries, and I'll support all the work that Brad does over at Fee and all the other amazing organizations that Brad works at. And guys, while you're uh, doing all that work over on your end, just do me a favor. Go ahead and, number one, follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty, Facebook, Twitter, while I'm still allowed to live there. And, uh, well, if Parlor ever does come back, you can find me at B Nichols Liberty as well. Um, or if you want to go ahead and get in touch with me, email me. That's always trusty, Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. And if you have not had the chance to head over to our Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. And shout out to all you folks who have already gone out of your way to give us those awesome rating and reviews. Uh, thank you to Classic Rock Lover 23A. I especially loved the episode on the Mises Caucus with Michael Heiss. It was so interesting learning about the different factions in the LP. I might join this one. Phenomenal Jeff from Electric Avenue. Outstanding show. This show is fantastic. He interviews all different types of people with all different backgrounds and experiences in bite-sized, easy-to-follow shows. It really gives me hope for the Libertarian Party and for the future, keep it up. Brian Brady545 says, great podcast with a great host. Well, thank you, Brady. Brian's one of the nicest guys in the libertarian movement, and he always has interesting guests. Highly recommend this podcast to anyone who is liberty curious or just wants to hear new and interesting viewpoints. All three of those five-star ratings. Thank you to all three of you awesome, awesome listeners. Thank you so much for being a member of the Brian Nichols Show audience. And, yes... You wanted to know, that's right, who the winner of our Ebels giveaway for that topical freeze gel is. Congratulations, it is going to, and I swear to God, this did not happen on purpose, but I I put it into a random generator, I'm not even kidding, Philly Fritz... Who had a five-star rating and review. Important conversations. Brian's a great host who not only will bring you great content from a libertarian perspective, but isn't afraid to reach out across the aisle and prove that people of vastly different political ideologies can not only be civil, but be friends 
as well. Give him a listen. I swear to God, that wasn't, it was completely random. So I'm assuming that as our good friend Fritz from Fritz Cast, if that is the case, Philly Fritz, thank you very much, even though your Eagles do in fact stink. And uh, I'm sorry that your head coach just got fired. That means, uh, Philly Fritz, you will be getting uh, your Eagles topical freeze gel. Uh, so thank you very much for the five star rating and review. And thank you to all you folks out there who went out of your way to uh, enter your five star rating and reviews, entered the Eagles five-star rating review giveaway. I appreciate all the reviews and keep them coming because I will continue to read them on the air on Fridays. We'll have some uh, awesome review readings there. So make sure you get your reviews. And if you want to hear your review read on air, I will make sure I go ahead and get to it. And with that being said, make sure you hit subscribe and that notification button. So you know, every single time the Brian Nichols show drops a brand new episode, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. And looking ahead to next week, I am starting things off. I am joined by Ermaya Fenean, and Ermaya is the head of the Pink Pistols organization out in Utah, and she joins the show to discuss uh, why it is important for not only uh, women, but members of the LGBTQ uh, movement to also making sure that they are armed to protect themselves because, well, let's be real, the government really hasn't done too hot of a job in... uh, Doing, well, anything. Uh, And then, coming up here on Wednesday, yes, I'm going to be doing a solo episode. We're talking sales, so make sure you want to hear some sales tips, uh, and we're going to apply it specifically uh, to the libertarian movement and talking about the five basic principles of selling and how we can apply them to politics. And then wrapping things up, of course, on Friday, uh, we're, as things stand, re-recording with Kenny Cody uh, next week. So hopefully that awesome conversation with Kenny talking about that new uh, focus on getting this GOP Liberty Alliance. My goodness, if it's not as good as the first time, who am I kidding? It's going to be as good as the first time because a conversation with Kenny is always a fantastic conversation to be had. But uh, make sure you guys check in on Friday for that conversation. So three phenomenal episodes coming up here for you guys to enjoy. And if you did not get the chance yet, check out the five phenomenal episodes that aired here on the Brian Nichols show this week. Back on Monday, we were joined by Mark Walzik, who is the assemblyman up in northern New York, but asked, could quarantine camps actually happen for COVID-19? Yeah, we dug into that. And then on Wednesday, VP candidate for the Libertarian Party, Spike Cohen, joined the show to discuss sales as well. Maybe Wednesday will become a sell a sales day, like a sales-oriented day. I don't know. It's something we're going to discuss behind the scenes. We'll, we'll get back to you. But yeah, we had to have an awesome episode with, uh, with Spike. Thank you, Spike, by the way, for joining the show. Congratulations on awesome airing over on Kennedy. If you didn't see that, go judge Spike Cohen on Kennedy. That was nifty. Uh, and then, uh, yes, obviously, our conversation with Brad Palumbo. If you enjoyed any of these episodes, please go out of your way. Share with family and friends. But with that being said, folks, that's all I had to say. I know I said a lot, but... I always have a lot to say. So with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Brad Palumbo. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.